0: Good morning hey how you doing doing good how are you great oh. all right uh well let's get this going here uh we are recording um <clears throat> i'll go ahead and uh do an introduction for you um today i am interviewing dr robert price he received his master in theological studies and new testament from gordon cornwell theological seminary was awarded a PhD in uh, Systematic Theology and the New Testament at Drew University. Um, And it says you served uh, as a professor of religion at Mount Olive College. He's written some good books on the mythical Jesus or the Christ myth, um, Deconstructing Jesus, Jesus is Dead, um, The Historical Jesus, Five Views, and The Case Against the Case for Christ. So I wanted to start it off with a little bit about your background. Mm. Um, So you were uh, formerly a Baptist minister. Uh, So what what took you on a journey where um, you went from preaching about Jesus and believing that the story to believing that Jesus was a myth?
1: Well, actually, before I became a pastor, I had attended the same church because despite my uh, loss of any kind of orthodox faith previously, this this place was so open-minded and so uh, diverse. The pastor himself, I guess, had been Southern Baptist. He was a Texan originally, and um, he had uh, broadened his perspective by a lot of reading of Kierkegaard and, and uh, various others, and he had a wide range of interest. And in, I was uh, still, I guess I was still some kind of a theist at the time, uh, but I I guess I was already in league with uh, thinkers like Bultmann and Tillich, and so I, I believed in a historical Jesus. But uh, I kind of figured, like uh, Rudolf Bultmann argued, that he had been an apocalyptic prophet of sorts, uh, that he didn't um, believe that he was the Messiah, uh, that uh, he certainly didn't think that he was God and all that, and and that the miracles probably, insofar as anything actually happened in the Gospels, it was uh, a bunch of cases of... uh, uh, psychosomatic healing. Uh, it all has to do with the principle of analogy that, as Bultmann said, since we see uh, exorcisms and faith healing today, however you think it works, that you can go to meetings and, and see such things happening. So yeah. there's no reason to deny that they did and so on. I said, yeah, it makes good sense to me. Uh, and uh, But the more I got into reading people like George Wells, uh, who wrote a bunch of books arguing that Jesus was a myth uh, comparable to William Tell and and others. Uh, At first, I thought it was sort of crazy, uh, like they say, conspiracy theory and all that. But then I I began thinking, well, let me see if I can be teachable about this, uh, if I can uh, bring myself to honestly consider some of these points. And Uh, The more I did, in fact, I was uh, preparing a course on the life and teaching of Jesus at the time. And I I thought to myself, I'd heard him speak, and he said, Well, of course, my view never gets a hearing. Nobody can bring themselves to consider it seriously. And I thought, Well, I want to take that dare. I want to be as open minded as I can about this. And I didn't just accept uh, what he and others said, I, I just began to ponder them and Uh, I was already, as I say, more of a liberal Protestant, not so much politically, like today, where where liberal Christianity simply is left-wing politics, but um, I I, uh, was more in the, the critical camp and um, I preached on the Bible, no problem, but I had given up evangelicalism some years before I ever became a pastor, so people always understandably get the wrong idea, and they say, this guy used to be a Baptist preacher? Well, not exactly. It was a lot more complicated and vague than that. Well, the thing that really... uh, Propelled me across the uh, the line to say, I think it's more likely that, likely that there wasn't a Jesus, or should I say? that the burden of proof really would lie with those even like Bultmann that said that, yeah, there there was a Jesus. Uh, Bultmann said nobody who's not insane would deny that uh, Jesus uh, e- existed. And I thought, well, that's, that's probably not really the case. You don't have to be a nut. And what really convinced me was for some months I was reading a bunch of different books where scholars would take uh, this or that element in the gospel story and say, you know, that kind of looks like it's a rewrite of so-and-so in the Old Testament, like the feeding stories and so yeah. on, uh, with uh, some borrowings probably from the Odyssey and, and all that. And I looked at each one of these arguments, and uh, though some of them struck me as Pretty iffy. A lot of them seemed to me very compelling. And I came to the point where I thought, I don't think there's a single gospel story or even in the book of Acts that wouldn't make better sense as a rewrite of something, especially in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament. And I thought, well, if this is the case, why is it the case? Why is there nothing that would stand out as what you might call secular uh, evidence, like no real biographical information about Jesus, no nothing to connect him with the history of the times, even the stories where Jesus is connected with someone who we know existed, like Pontius Pilate, Caiaphas, Herod the Great, Uh, these stories are all highly dubious for other reasons entirely. The the characters are grossly out of character, like Pilate, oh boy, I I can't let that Jesus guy get executed. What's the matter with him? Uh, And and so on. Or the uh, the high priest is presiding over a trial for Jesus on Passover Eve? Wait a second, somebody even... didn't know what they were describing, and and so I thought, uh, what is the? Why is there any reason to believe in this when just about everything seems to be either written, rewritten Old Testament, or so similar to other ancient stories such as the dying and rising savior gods, uh, which do predate the Gospels. No matter what these apologists say, they're just playing fast and loose with the evidence. Um, then uh, or healing stories like those attributed to Asclepius the healing god etc cetera, etc cetera. i thought what is there left i mean there might have been a historical jesus but once you take this stuff away what was he and i i thought to myself it's as if somebody a hundred years from now Came to believe that Superman actually existed, and um, and then he realized, well, you know, some of this stuff couldn't really have happened. Uh, let's find the historical Superman. What, we'll examine all the comics and see that uh, you know if there's some factual undergirding. And oh, there is. And here's the news, folks: the historical Superman was Clark Kent, a mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper what? That's it? That was Superman? How did this religion get started on the basis of a guy like this? Uh, And and people just like Bart Bart Ehrman and a lot of these guys, they just don't seem to see the uh, incongruity and the meagerness of the the evidence. And so there might have been one. And in fact, uh, um, shut up in a second. there there are, there's at least one quite viable sketch of a historical Jesus, and that would be um, that of uh, uh, SGF Brandon and others who said that Jesus could uh, have been a revolutionist who was uh, crucified not on a frame-up, but because he was actually trying to uh, rally Jews against the Romans. Uh, He and excuse me, some others made a a very good case for that. So I I don't approach Christ mythicism as a dogma. Uh, I I realize Mm. every historical judgment has to be tentative and provisional, open to re-examination. So my stance is that it, it just seems to me to be the most adequate way of looking at the evidence. And if somebody finds something you could show as a real letter from or about Jesus, that's well, okay with me. That's all it would take. All right, there was one. I, I don't think it would be better if there wasn't a Jesus. I, I don't feel like this scorched earth approach to Christianity, but so man, that's absurd uh, and neurotic. Uh, but um, I don't go to church anymore, I don't believe in any kind of a personal God, but that's a whole different issue than whether there was a s- historical Jesus. And uh, I think there might have been, and maybe he was the one Brandon talked about. Makes sense, but I don't see how we'll ever know.
0: Yeah, that's very very valid point. Uh, so within the, your, your view of the Christ myth that there's a potential uh, historical Jesus, you see him maybe as a revolutionary, a zealot, or something along those mm-hmm. lines? Because, uh, yeah, that was my question. Because a lot of times I've been called a mythicist because, um, from, from what I look at, the New Testament is a, mytholo- a mythological version of what a hi- historical Jesus might have been. So when I'm pointing to the what seems like myth making, um, and then I'm pointing out that there's a historical Jesus contrary to what you see in the mythological version in the new testament Mm. uh i don't know i feel like i fall in the historical jesus camp but um and maybe you know you can help me clarify some of those points but i but i feel like that's a valid point that there was probably a historical jesus we're never really gonna know for sure uh there is a consensus it seems within the historical jesus camp about the baptism and the crucifixion uh outside of that debatable what he was or did or did not do um but i wanted to ask you about the alleged evidence to support jesus existence um you know when we uh so like one of the first things that um i found interesting was james tabor's book on the uh tomb uh the lost uh tomb of jesus and then the james ossuary um is this evidence that there was a historical Jesus, and I mean, how do you look at that evidence?
1: Uh, That to me is utterly unconvincing, partly because of the argument from the names. It says that this is Jesus, the son of uh, Joseph, brother of James. James, I'm sorry, James, the brother of Jesus, son of uh, Joseph and all that. Uh, And uh, buried with them are uh, Mariam and a couple of other names. And they say, ah, now, these were all admittedly common names of the period, uh, but this particular um, collection of them, what are the chances that uh, you would have these mostly matching New Testament characters all together? It's got to be them. I say that, that is just, uh, I think, ridiculous because, uh, for one thing, you don't have the exact correspondence upon which this theory rests. Uh, you, you can't just cut off a few of the names that are not in the New Testament and say, wow, this is a perfect match for the, those characters. No, it isn't. If it was just these, maybe also what are they doing buried in jerusalem uh, they're all supposed to be galileans i, I, I don't i mean that's important and yes. the uh the ossuary beyond that the there're two different handwritings on it. It, it, it they've admitted from the first that the i think it's the brother of jesus part uh is uh written in after the fact by somebody else Forget it, right there, it, it goes down in flames. Uh, and uh, and plus, these tests of the patina on it uh, seem to indicate that uh, no, uh, though the the rock box is old, the, the carving is not, because you can see it, it, where it's engraved that that it does not have the same coloring and texture and so on, so that it's more recently uh, put together. I tend to really, in my opinion, uh, uh, oh boy, who was the the author that uh, I know him personally? I'm getting old and senile. I'm blanking on his name. Uh, uh, He wrote uh, the Jesus Dynasty. I found that book, for instance, really slipshod in its historical reasoning. It's almost like holy blood, holy grail. Hey, what if this were really that? And that was connected to this. Well, what if? I mean, that's like a Leonard Nimoy show. It's not not really historical evidence. And this is more of the same. It's uh, just wild guesswork and something that is itself highly dubious cannot really function as as firm evidence for something else you're debating so to me that means nothing i mean if you could actually show this was true great i i I would welcome that Uh, i'm not rooting for one side in this but that seems to me to be just a desperate and it reveals the, this insecurity of their case to have to. It's like the shroud of Turin thing. Some people are still dragging that in. Uh, forget it. it. It just doesn't work. They misrepresent the evidence. Uh, you, there could have been a Jesus, but especially with the shroud, they say there's no other way this image could have been there unless it was Jesus uh, um, rising from the dead, and it was that what radioactivity from the miracle well, what are you talking okay. about it, yeah. it you use one miracle to prove another one it's 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 just so lame i think mm-hmm. uh, you'd really need some kind of uh can reliably contemporary attestation mm-hmm. now um bart ehrman and others are right it, it's not like uh You're going to look at an American history book a hundred years from now and see a big feature on Oral Roberts because he was a faithful, you know, uh, that's, that was even true in the old days. There were loads of people like this uh, and uh, that, uh, so you wouldn't expect it necessarily, but uh, given the Jesus depicted in the gospels Mm -hmm. that he is, um, Followed by huge crowds everywhere he goes, they all bring their sick and demon-possessed relatives, and he heals every single one of them. You, you're dealing with a comic book here. I mean, Ooh. there's no parallel in anybody's memory or in historical documents for something like that. Yeah. Uh, and even the teaching. This I, I'm doing another book on the Gospels right now and it really occurred to me for the first time, Jesus is said to be teaching every Sabbath to big crowds in synagogues. And he goes from city to city and, and he's teaching them so long that everybody is sick and they're going to faint from hunger. If he doesn't miraculously feed them, what was he saying? I mean, that Mm -hmm. implies a a pretty big body of teaching. And when you look at the gospels, it's just a few fortune cookie sayings and, uh, and and very sketchy, in the literal sense. I mean, very terse, non-detailed stories of of healing, and that's it. I mean, what are yeah. a few parables that are equivocal and and very short. What was this guy really a teacher? It just seems to me the deeper I look at it, to be. Now I like all the stuff. I mean, I love the Gospels. I love the Jesus character, but I have a historian's conscience here that yeah. I, I can't just go along with this as history. Of course, I don't think it's supposed to be history, even yeah, it's it's very moving and challenging
0: material. It's great stuff, but <laughs> history, I don't think so, yeah, I notice your background. You've got the uh, superheroes in your background um. <laughs> But yeah, you you mentioned um the Jesus dynasty. That's uh Robert Eisman and his uh hypothesis that uh the Quran community, the Essenes are really um, I guess what like James and his community and Jesus and them, he sees. I think James is a teacher of righteousness. Um, I mean, I, I I'm totally sketchy on that, but um uh, the similarities between uh the teachings and the archetypes of the Qumran community in the New Testament I find striking. Mm. I don't see any connective tissue that um, they're the same. I don't see anything to do that. But I do find it as bi- background information to inform the, the cultural milieu that the New Testament is in. And at least kind of helps define the kind of Judaism that might have influenced the Jesus message. I mean, I guess what, what, uh, how do you see Qumran and the Essene community community, uh, situated in relationship to the message of the historical Jesus?
1: Uh, well by the way uh James Tabor is the name I was trying to remember oh, yeah. he wrote the Jesus Dynasty uh Robert Eisenman's the one that wrote uh, uh, uh James the brother of Jesus and all yeah that.
0: oh yeah I, was mixing uh, I up find you, his yeah.
1: work very uh important and convincing I realize Heisman. it's debatable but it, it strikes me he just has this incredible insight into the way people wrote scripture and understood it at the time, and uh, so many of the things he points out between stuff in, in the book of Acts, uh, and in the Gospels, and uh, and in Josephus even, that, that look like they're reflected in the Gospels, rewritten a bit, that uh, I find them very convincing about yeah. James. Barbara Thiering argues that the the teacher of righteousness was John the Baptist. Actually, that that makes sense, too. It's hard to choose between them. And in fact, both could be true, since presumably there was a succession of men in this office.
0: Um,
1: I also think that uh, Eisenman was right, as was a previous scholar, Jacob Tyker, who argued that uh, the Qumran community was the Jerusalem church. I I think that's very likely. And um, that uh, Paul, uh, this gets into, I know, weird territory seldom discussed, but I think that uh, Hermann Dettering and others were right that Paul is the same. Uh, under a different name as Simon Magus, the, um, the, the Gnostic yeah. uh, founder and so forth, who we're told was a member of John the Baptist's sect. Uh, but after John's death, He would have been first in line to to replace him, but he was off in Egypt at the time. And instead, Dosithius of Samaria uh, took over. But then the two of them clashed and each founded his own sect. And some of the things said about John in, I'm I'm sorry, uh, Simon in the book of Acts, in Irenaeus, and in the pseudo Clementine literature make it sound so Pauline that uh, it seemed, and already uh, FC Bauer was on the trail of this. He said, when uh, when Simon is asking Peter, gee, uh, this thing you did, Imposing your hands, and these people are speaking in tongues. I'd like to know how you did that. I'll, I'll be happy to pay for for the knowledge. It's what this is, as J. B. Phillips put it in his translation, "To hell with you and your money." You thought you could uh, buy the the uh, the gift of God with money. Well, what was he trying to do? The big point of that story is that even Philip the deacon, though he could convert all of these people in Samaria, he couldn't impart the Holy Spirit. Now, why not? Are they are even baptized. Well, you had to have Peter and John, the apostles, come up from Jerusalem. Only they can do it. So uh, Bauer pointed out that, um, that this looks like another version of the meeting in Galatians between Paul and the so-called pillars, where they would acknowledge his legitimacy, but he had to collect tribute from his congregations to support them. And Bauer said, there's an echo in here somewhere. Isn't that what Simon is doing? He wants the the prerogatives of apostleship and here's a few bucks for it yeah that really struck me and that's not the whole case even so that's it could easily be a lot of nonsense but all you've got is a few mosaic tiles to try to complete the picture with and I find that dovetailing with uh with Eisenman to a great degree to where I think you can kind of hypothetically figure out who was who and what they did now do you need a Jesus for that not necessarily because the way I understand it you know how um with Jesus, he's got 12 apostles and an inner circle of three, the pillars. Uh, And uh, at Qumran, there was a council of 12 and a separate group, but still an inner circle of three. And um, where would there have been room for Jesus? Well, my guess is that Simon Magus slash Paul sought rapprochement with the the Jerusalem church slash Qumran community. uh, And uh, that's, and, and he sort of purchased it by the promise of tribute to the mother church but part of the condition would have been that they believe in the uh, the spiritual Christ because Irenaeus tells us that Simon taught that he had been Christ and had been uh, crucified in a semblance without actually feeling pain uh, and uh, that uh, so he's saying you should make me under the guise of Jesus as your your your, uh, figurehead, uh, and the rest of you will sort of be put in the shadows, but he's not here, so you're in charge here, whereas I'll stay away and just go between my churches. Who knows, but that seems to me to make a lot of sense of some of the weird little anomalies and loose ends we find, Uh, and uh, so I don't know that there needed to have been a historical Jesus at the root of this He only got historicized in the midst of uh, competing claims by Gnostics and others uh, who said, oh, I got another revelation from Jesus, which is just what you see in the Nag Hammadi texts, like in the Apocryphon of James. Yeah, we apostles are all sitting around one day having revelations, and Jesus said to me, well, Irenaeus commented on that stuff, and he said... You guys are just playing, can you top this? Oh, so yeah, Jesus said that to you. Well, here's what he said to me. That's, it's all subjective. But uh, we have an actual historical founder, So we have the copyright on it. You guys are just spinning your wheels. Uh, So I think that's why they decided, oh, yeah, there was a Jesus and not long ago. And he taught our leaders who taught uh, their successors all the way on to us. You, you're just making it up as you go along. So that was the view of, uh, um, what's his name? I'm really bad on the names lately. Good God, snap out of it, Price. Uh, the guy that wrote uh, Arthur Drews or Drabz or Drez, I don't know how you pronounce it in Dutch, uh, but this guy made that argument. He said they needed a, a historical founder to you know, keep the copyright. Of course, then the Gnostics started doing that too, right? They said, mm-hmm. uh, we Valentinians, uh, our, our guru was taught by uh, Theotis, who was a disciple of Paul. And then the the, uh, Basilidian Gnostic said, well, now that you've mentioned it, our guy was taught by Glaucius, who was the interpreter of Peter. So everybody starts playing the game, and you're back to square one. The same thing we're doing today. You say the Bible says infant baptism? Well, I say believer's baptism.
0: You're never going to get any agreement. Yeah. Yeah have you read the, uh, anti-Nicene? It's the epistle of Peter to James and its reception, uh, where he calls, um, he talks about my enemy, um, with, you know, would you situate that as Simon Magus or Paul? Yes. And this kind of brings me to a point that, um, so, I mean, the historical Jesus was an Aramaic-speaking Jew who wore tzitzit but the message of the New Testament, uh, is basically written to a Greek-speaking community, and is there, there's a disconnect between who this Aramaic-speaking Jesus was, if he existed, uh, we can get more into that later, but if he existed within his Jewish framework, then the Gospels and the Epistles and the New Testament has this very Hellenistic, you know, perspective that seems to not fit into the, the Jewish understanding of, like, uh, first century Judaism, Second Temple Judaism, and in the interplay between, uh, I guess, the community of, you know, James and John and Peter and the Pauline uh, message there. He, I guess, situating him as what they would call the enemy, and that uh, what was it what in the, in the Acts it was uh, with the Jerusalem Council. I'm trying to think, was that in Antioch or in Jerusalem where they had that um. I don't believe that the story in Acts necessarily tells the true and correct, uh, telling of the decision at that council. Um, but there was this thing between James and Peter and, and, uh, the apostle Paul on the other side. Uh, what is your take on all that? Well, there's something like
1: it in Galatians where, um, And yeah, I'm really a nut here because I tend to go along with the Dutch radical critics uh, who said that all of the epistles attributed to Paul are pseudonymous, uh, Mm -hmm. that they all presuppose a later uh, historical era and a later stage of Christian theologizing, and that they contradict one another even within the same text. Like in 1 Corinthians, like one chapter seems to contradict the argument of the previous one again and again and again which is what gives exegetes nightmares trying to iron it out yeah. so um but it, it does seem to me that uh, there there was at some point an attempt in the the book of acts um ephesians first and second peter Uh, and uh, the Gospel of Luke are all what Bauer called Catholicizing. They represent a later stage where uh, Jewish Torah Christianity and Hellenistic Pauline Christianity, uh, somebody was trying to get them together. Uh, The Jewish Christianity was on the decline and uh, Hellenistic uh, advancing, and so they said, hey, how about if we say that Peter and Paul were both instruments of Christ, and if you like the one, you have no business disliking the other, and that's why there's this pronounced parallelism between Peter and Paul in Acts. Both of them raise the dead, both cure lame people, both have miraculous prison breaks, both heal in superstitious manners. Peter's shadow, Paul's handkerchiefs and all that, again, both preach to the Gentiles. St. Peter even beats Paul to it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Paul was the the apostle of the Gentiles, but now all of them are. What the heck? Uh, And uh, Bauer said, you see, uh, there was an attempt to to, uh, meld them together, not that it worked completely. You still had the Hellenistic Gnostics holding out over here and the Ebionite Jewish Christians over there, but that always happens, I guess. Uh, And um, so I think that is uh, one of the attempts to present that as that reconciliation as happening at the very beginning. It's like a propagandistic rewrite of the history of it uh, and um so I think that yeah there's something to it but not quite what it's billed as. And that isn't just to debunk the story. Ah, it's not inerrant. look at these contradictions no. It's to recognize that these little anomalies and contradictions are valuable clues to sort of pry up the plates and see what really happened here, which yeah. is very instructive, it seems to me. So I think that there is uh, there is a historical basis to that, but that Paul was the enemy. In Galatians, he said, what, have I become the enemy just by telling you the truth or the parable of the wheat, wheat and the tares? Uh, hey, uh, we thought we planted wheat. Where did these tares come from? He says, an enemy has done this. Now, I could be reading way too much into it, but it sort of sounds to me like, who's he talking about? It's like in Qumran, they're talking about somebody. They're just using euphemisms and so on. it has got to be Paul. Uh, When uh, uh, the day of judgment comes and people are going to be knocking on the pearly gates saying, hey, let us in. And Jesus says, gee, I'm sorry, you're not on the list. (laughs) Well, Wait a minute. We used to cast out demons in your name and so on. Look, I'm sorry. I don't know. Get out of here. You workers of anomia, lawlessness. Who's he talking about? It's got to be Paul. Uh, and, and so forth. So, I think you can once you put these lenses on, things really leap into focus. Uh, though I, I admit it's all tentative, yeah. but who knows?
0: Yeah. So, you don't think the uh, first the, or the uh, the seven most authentic uh, epistles of Paul are actually attributed to him, that they're potentially pseudonymous, pseudonymous or like written? Yeah, that
1: is what I think. For instance, there are references to. Uh, well, Paul or whoever says to the Thessalonians, now you keep to the traditions as I delivered them to you. Traditions? Didn't he just start this religion? What traditions? Uh, Or his his retrospective uh, angle on like the church at Corinth. Now, uh, I planted, Apollos watered, and so on, He he sounds like he's looking back on some decades here, Mm -hmm. or uh, when in First Thessalonians, he says, well, uh, you've been persecuted just like uh, the Lord Jesus, but don't worry, God's wrath has finally caught up with him. What what could he be talking about? It has to be the destruction of Jerusalem in 70, or the whole idea that, yeah, Jews have uh, neglected to jump on board the gospel bandwagon here. How would you know that uh, in the year 60 AD? That seems to me to presuppose a much later time. Or in Colossians, the gospel has been preached throughout the world how'd you do
0: that airplanes yeah Uh, and so there are a
1: bunch of things like that
0: okay um let i wanted to kind of get into some of the main points of the your christ myth theory Hmm. um you you assert that the epistles were written earlier than the gospels and they provide no evidence of a recent historical jesus and there's no uh, mentions of a miracle working jesus in the secular sources what do you make of uh, the references from Thalos, Josephus, Tacitus, Marbin or Marbars, Serpon? Uh, and is there any validity to their claims? Like, what do you take of those those um, attestations? Like, what is your sense about those? Well, with
1: Josephus, it seems to me almost a settled issue that it's got to be a spurious Christian addition. There have been a couple of approaches to this partly from the narrative structure of it, as short as it is. I forget the guy's name, but this, this one scholar said, let's look at the number of Pontius Pilate episodes. They're written in a certain way where Pilate is always the protagonist I don't mean the hero, but he's the one it's about. He did this, he did that. Whereas suddenly with the Jesus thing, he's mentioned only in subordinate clauses uh, and, and so forth. It's not about him anymore. Somebody knew where to plug it in. Oh yeah, let's put it in the pilot section, but it doesn't seem like it's the same uh, writing structure, which doesn't change with people, like their favorite vocabulary doesn't change. Uh, it Another guy said that it, the first actual quoting of this we have is in Eusebius in the fourth century, and if you look at the context where it appears, it fits like a glove with the issues he is debating with his opponents about, was Jesus a God or a man or both? Did he do this? Did he do that? He says, well, I got something right here that shows that even a Jewish uh, historian said, it it looks kind of, uh, it's just too good to be true. And and there's other problems with it. We're told now that Vasius, who was, I guess, a Renaissance era, forget um, the scholar, he claims to have a copy of it that didn't have that in there, but of course it's been destroyed so we can't check it. So uh, to me that is so dubious and so unlikely to be authentic, though it has its defenders, that again you can't use that as a trump card, it's it's, it's as equivocal as, as the original issue. Tacitus, there are serious doubts as to whether that is genuine, partly because uh, the juicy idea of Christians being martyred by Nero never comes up for a couple of hundred years in Christian uh, writings about martyrs and persecution why wouldn't they have appealed to this now I have no idea I, I'm less uh, acquainted with that but but there are scholars that uh, have said their their reasons to doubt that plus he calls him crestus which was a common proper name uh the useful one or the good one. Uh, was he actually talking about Christ? Uh, same thing with Suetonius. He said that Claudius exiled Jews from Rome because there was a guy named Crestus instigating rioting among the Jews. Was that Jesus? Was Jesus in Rome in the time of Claudius? Well, some people think so, like Barbara Thiering, but that that really regard that that would necessitate a gross rewriting of the chronology. Um, with uh, Mara Ben Serapion, uh, I think that uh, who I believe is the one that said that they crucified their wise king, or was that okay. Lucian Lucius Uh, But the, there's the uh, the Mara Bar Serapion letter is undateable. There's really no we don't know when that was written, and uh, so it just seems to me you you just don't have. I mean, there again, the sparsity and ambiguity of this supposed evidence actually accentuates how little there is. If you really scrape in the bottom of the bucket to say that this stuff proves there was a historical Jesus, you don't have that problem with, with others who were... Uh, You know, people that uh, like Caesar Augustus and and so on, about whom some similar stories are told, because naturally people are going to talk about the Emperor of Rome. Uh, And uh, so, you know, here's Bart again saying, yeah, but Jesus wasn't as public a spectacle. Well, the only Jesus we hear about sure was, uh, again, with these legions of bands and healing thousands of people. <laughs> if you say, well, that's all legend, well, then what do you got left? What are you defending? Uh, it just seems to me to run into a blank wall time and again.
0: Okay, uh, so you assert that Eusebius, you think the Testimonia Flavium was uh, fabricated by Eusebius? Um, I'm curious what, what you think of uh, James Valiant's book on creating Christ and Joseph Atwill's uh, Caesar's Messiah, because they assert that the Romans invented Christianity, one, to suppress the violent, like the zealous, the revolutionary, they were fighting for their Messiah, uh, mm-hmm. but they they assert that the Romans invented Christianity as a typology of Joseph and the Flavian Emperor Titus mm-hmm. as a model for the New Testament Jesus, Um And you assert that those stories were created from the Greek Septuagint, influenced by Homer Homer and uh, Euripides in the light, you know, these books were to, uh, well, in the light of those two books, the Creating Christ and Caesar's Messiah. I mean, how do you think that those views line up with kind of your your view? Because there's a little bit of similarity that there is Roman influence into the creation of this myth. Um, Like, how do you see it playing out between those different narratives on that? And, And what is your take? Well, with Valiant, um,
1: he I think that uh, he's got a lot of interesting stuff to say. It kind of boils down ultimately to this trademark symbol of the of the Flavian dynasty, the anchor with the the dolphins around it, uh, which he admits was inherited from the Seleucid Empire and that christians were using it that doesn't seem that compelling to me because if it was a widespread pre-roman um symbol you don't have to you can't necessarily exclude any other origin than romans uh, contributing this to the mix. They they might have, but it it just misses it by a, a, an inch to, to me. And though they have a real good point about Romans wanting to have a pacifistic Christ and all of that, to think of them as inventing the religion seems to me and I know this is subjective and debatable. It just seems a little unlikely uh, that they're foisting this hoax. Uh, I, I They could have, uh, they could have, but uh, you do have a precedent with conquering empires trying to impose their religion or to influence the religion of the subject people to pacify them. Hey, we're your friends. We're, we're not trying to stamp you out. Uh, and the the prime case, in my opinion would be how post-exilic Judaism looks with the Pharisees looks just like Zoroastrianism uh, and that um from the Persian Empire, and even the books of Ezra and Nehemiah tell us that when Jews who were civil servants for the Persians were sent back to sort of get Judaism off the ground again, they clashed with the indigenous Jews who had never gone into Babylon, Uh, and and shortly thereafter, you've got the Pharisees as opposed to the Sadducees. Well, as uh, T.W. Manson pointed out decades ago, Pharisee very likely is another way of saying Parsi or Persian Zoroastrian, and that uh, the Sadducees, who didn't believe in a coming Messiah, a resurrection of the dead, uh, angelology, uh, Satan, and all that, uh, they uh, were, were the old-time religionists. They didn't believe in any scripture beyond the Pentateuch, and they viewed the the Pharisees as syncretistic innovators. Well, that looks to me like the Persians um, Zoroastrianized or Persianized Judaism. Now, what Valian is saying is somewhat similar, but uh, they're, they're talking more about creating a new religion. I don't think you need to go that far. Again, a parallel uh, the Romans disbanded the Jewish Sanhedrin of Jerusalem, who had on, uh, local autonomy. Uh, they they could call the shots up to a certain point. After the war against Rome, uh, they didn't just say, okay, no more authority for you. They allowed Jews to set up a exclusively religious Sanhedrin in Yavna up the coast. I said, now stay out of politics, but religion, that's up to you. Uh, It seems to me that would fit Brandon's theory better that yeah the early christians were a revolutionary insurgent group and they got the the heck kicked out of them when when their leader was crucified like spartacus and others were uh and what happened well were they going to hunt down and kill all the christians no they did the same thing they did with the sanhedrin so okay you guys can uh, continue on if you keep the heck out of politics and no more anti-romanism uh insurgency. Well, and then the apostles, whoever they were, said, sounds good. I mean, Jesus was uh, is pictured anyway as a kind of a rabbi. So was Judas of Galilee, who led a revolt against the Romans. It's not like there wasn't any wisdom side to it or any genuine religiosity to it. It was just that that had led them to this Political militancy. Well, now they simply retreated to the accommodationism of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were devout Jews, but they were willing to live under the Roman heel because they said, well, what's the alternative? Suicide? So I don't think you need Valiant's theory. It's pretty easy to explain it on the basis of Brandon's theory. I'm sorry, I'm going to such uh, a jungle of. Uh, weeds here but it it seems to me that his theory really is almost a kind of a fifth wheel it's uh, you've already got a a good theory like he has nothing to say about a historical Jesus Uh, there's no there's no no role for Jesus in this thing as he admits because he's thinking of the the Romans just foisting an alien thing uh, if there was a Jesus and he was a revolutionist, it, it's pretty easy to describe a parallel mechanism of adjust of adjustment, just like with the the Sanhedrin. Now, with um, with with uh, Titus, that's a special case. Uh, I, he and uh, Joe Atwill have almost got me convinced that. Um, in the so-called Olivet Discourse or Synoptic Apocalypse, whatever you want to call it, Mark 13, that when it says the, they will see the sign of the Son of Man and that's going to signal the destruction of the city, which is the initial question. Uh, and uh, does does Jesus, supposed to, is he supposed to be saying, they'll see me coming in the clouds, it's important that he does not put it that way. What is the sign of the son of man? Well, of course he's talking about the book of Daniel and the abomination of desolation, the desecration of the temple. Uh, he's just not, it's, and I tell you what I exact what I think it's exactly like in the book of revelation it's it speaks of uh, the beast and he says, now I don't want to come right out with this, but, uh, let him who has wisdom you'll be you'll know what i mean his number it's the number of a man a particular man it's a 666 six, six, which had to be nero caesar yeah and yeah. uh, and so on well that's the same thing let the reader understand and what he's supposed to understand is oh jesus was predicting uh, uh Titus so i i think we've been misreading it that it was even supposed to be jesus when jesus even says in that that apocalypse many will come in my name saying i am he uh that doesn't necessarily mean i am Christ, now it's coming in my name. Could just as easily mean claiming to be prophets speaking in my name, saying this guy, he's the one. So I think we've been taking a whole lot to, for granted, and I got to give credit to to uh, to these two guys uh, for that. Uh, At will gets into all kinds of other matters that are really tangential. Uh, mm. He. I used to dismiss some of the parallels he makes between Josephus and the Gospels, like I will make you fishers of men. He says, mm-hmm. boy, that reminds me of Josephus's story of the Romans on the Sea of Galilee spearfishing to kill Jewish insurgents in the water. Oh. I used to think, come on, but... I uh, have to admit he might be right, especially since there are a number of other ones, though they seem kind of weird. I, I wouldn't be surprised if mm-hmm. they're a kind of satirical uh, retelling of it. I don't know, but I, I have respect for, for his eagle eye on that. He gets into other stuff like he tries, to, for some reason, he tries to harmonize all the resurrection narratives yeah. uh, with absolutely forgive me, ludicrous results. I don't know why he bothers doing that. So you don't have to accept everything he says to see that he's
0: he's got some good ideas. Yeah. Um, okay. So I feel like you kind of touched on this a little, but I want to go a little more into this. Like, so almost every story in the Gospels and, and Acts can be plausibly argued as borrowed. Uh, Bart Ehrman refers to parts of the, the New Testament is plagiarism from other stories, uh, some of it forgeries because they're writ- written pseudonymously in the name of people. Um, I mean, do you see the evidence for this? But also like the creation of these stories, um, you kind of see that every detail in Jesus' life fits out lines of the mythic stereotype present in all cultures. Uh, How do you see the Gospels written in relation to, like, the hero's journey and, like, other maybe Hellenistic influences into, I guess, the creation of this this story that we have in the New Testament?
1: Well, uh, when you look at everybody from Oedipus to the Buddha uh, and uh, just loads of them, Lord Raglan was the first to to do this in a book called The Hero— and I think James Frazier, the author of The Golden Bough said, I noticed you didn't include Jesus here, but well, I would have thought that would be irresistible and Raglan told him, well, they're going to be big repercussions if I do that, and I don't want to face them. So he, he also thought Jesus fit. Well, what, what's the pattern? Uh, there is an annunciation by God or an angel or or whatever. Uh, oh, you're going to have an amazing divine son, and then there is uh, some kind of miraculous conception. It might be a virginal conception. Uh, it might be a married woman, a wife who, however, is impregnated by a god, not her husband. Alexander the Great, Plato, the Buddha, and so on, um, but a miraculous conception nonetheless. Then. Um, there's a, a, a wunderkind, a child prodigy story, where the, the young god basically already knows more than his elders and makes them look like fools. There's plenty of that around. Um, th- there may even be a contrast between the adult uh, hero, uh, if he's a healer, and professional physicians, just like Jesus with the woman with the hemorrhage. She wasted all our money on quacks, but now Jesus does the thing. Then uh, there's there are uh, healing miracles. Of course, there are um, apparent resurrections that usually, if you look close, are not about people actually being. Brought back from the dead, like Jesus doesn't raise up moldering corpses, neither does anybody else. They it's it's that somebody is saved from a premature burial because somebody comes up who is adept enough to discern signs of life, whereas the others hadn't seen it. You know, that was a close one. And that may well be what is being said. Like when Jesus says she's not dead, she's asleep. That kind of makes you wonder, or Lazarus. He's not dead. He's only asleep. Uh, and uh, then they get there and so move the stone. Uh, Lord, he's been in there four days. It's going to be a hell of a reek. Well, they assume he's been dead for four days. And they don't know that. Uh, and so th- there's, but at any rate, there's that kind of a story and exorcisms and so on. Uh, the, uh, the, the savior is often a king or the heir to a king and uh, uh, he uh, is acclaimed by the masses, but suddenly they turn against him, uh, and he gets uh, executed on a hilltop, oddly enough, for different circumstances, Uh, and uh, then nobody is sure where he's buried, and there might be posthumous appearances to say farewell and or appearances or just an empty tomb or the absence of a body, perhaps accompanied by a heavenly voice uh, with Romulus, Apollonius of Tyana, and so on. Uh, And this occurs again and again. Uh, There's a couple of great books on this. Uh, Charles Talbert in the 70s wrote a book called What is a Gospel, where he details several of these. But um, recently, uh, David uh, Litwa wrote a book called uh, Jesus Deus. Uh, how Jesus became a Mediterranean God. I don't know how this guy does his research, but he came up with wheelbarrows full of, of uh, close parallels in ancient Greek and Roman literature. So that stuff that most people knew. I mean, if we have copies of these things and they're at the tip of the iceberg, you have to assume the, the ancients uh, knew about it. And they, And in fact, Justin says to, to uh, pagans, he says, when we talk about Jesus' virgin birth and miracles and all that, you say, oh, yeah, yeah, we've heard about it, all that stuff, the sons of Zeus, the same thing. Well, what's the problem with Jesus then? Well, he admitted, of course, it is typical, but this one did really happen. Uh, mm. That's that's simply a faith statement, and you have apologists today saying, oh, no, all that stuff was copied from Jesus. Not a chance. Uh, the Baal, Osiris, uh, Attis, they go back hundreds of years in some cases before Christianity, uh, and uh, it's just uh, cheap propaganda. So there, there is this pattern now were these things borrowed from one another, some of them could have been, but they're not as much alike in details to indicate that one was actually copied from another. It's more like uh, um that uh, great minds think alike, especially if you're living in a culture where everything depends on a harvest, and you've got the death and resurrection of vegetation and all of that stuff. Uh, so it's no surprise uh, and that there are loads of these deities, and some in the ancient world made the connection. The Romans and the Greeks were saying, you know, your Osiris sounds a lot like our Dionysus. I bet it's the same guy. Uh, and the uh the Na'asins who were gnostics they said uh, jesus adam attis they're different names to the same guy and we're the only true christians we know that uh i i it just seems to me if the 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 uh relation to the dying and rising gods is all an illusion. Uh, that's what you'd have to say it is. It's like being in the matrix or something. I mean, if this isn't true, you got a lot of explaining to do.
0: Yeah. Um, so, you know, talking about, I guess, the myth-making around the dying and rising gods, um, one, is there proof of this in the New Testament that you can make the connection? I mean, other than the general narrative story, Um, and then the other thing is, um, the process in the Roman culture of apotheosis, the making Caesars into God after their death, Mm -hmm. you think that that played into, uh, the Christian narrative that we have to make our, that when it became part of the Roman Catholic is, I feel like they played a big role in the invention of the myth, um, that somehow in there, they needed to make their Messiah a God. And so kind of, it seems to me similar to like, how the Caesars were made God after their death, and then their living, you know, heir is the Son of God. Do you see that process playing into the myth-making of Jesus becoming the Son of God kind of thing?
1: Yeah, it's the general ideological or mythical uh, thought world of the times. It it just didn't, uh, in fact, uh, in Seneca wrote this thing, the translates as the pumpkinification of claudius it's a pun on the the apotheosis i think the apo i can't remember several syllables in greek where claudius dies and imagine the scene in olympus where he appears there as a god and somebody on olympus says what another one and it's they're just making fun of it uh so it was widely taken for granted that you could become a god i mean even the even with enoch and moses in the old testament they in in hellenistic jewish thought uh, well even in uh some homegrown uh mysticism, like Merkava mysticism, they're already making those guys gods, like Enoch becomes the lesser Yahweh and sits at the right hand of of, uh, the, the older Yahweh, the Ancient of Days. What's going on here? I mean, you can see the trinity popping up in somebody's mind with something like that. Uh, And though they always have the problem, well, gee, we don't want to be called polytheists. There's some way of saying they're the same, but they're still not quite the same. Uh, But that's a product of trying to assimilate uh, these, uh, these things that fit more at home with polytheism. So it just seemed to me it was part of the mulch of of religious thought back then and had been for thousands of years with Baal and uh, Osiris and so on. Uh, They died and rose and you will too, if you're initiated.
0: Okay, uh, makes sense. So um, Paul states that he never knew Jesus personally. Uh, According to James Dunn, Paul uh, presents in his epistles, definitely in Hellenized Christianity. I'm curious as what you think, uh, the idea of Logos and the Demerge, um, uh, Platonism, Neoplatonism, platonism and I guess like Plato's kind of view of like, I guess would be a trinity, um, the creator God, I believe is the Logos, the world spirit, and how that played into or influenced the writing of the Greek New Testament. Well, I
1: read a fascinating book by Russell Gmirkin, who was just a genius. He uh, wrote uh, several books on the the specifically Platonic influence on the Old Testament, uh, including Genesis. Well, also the laws in Exodus, the Exodus narrative, and so on. But in the most recent one about uh, Plato's Timaeus and Critias. He shows very convincingly that the whole idea of Genesis 1 with uh, uh, Elohim, who creates, um, apparently, a a lower tier of gods, uh, and then human beings, mirrors Plato's idea of there being this high god, uh, and uh, the demiurge below him who creates Uh, the gods of mythology, and they create humans, each in their own little fiefdom. Uh, uh, Poseidon was the god of Atlantis and created the Atlanteans. And when they had a war with Athens and uh, Poseidon decided to flood them all out, the American shows that has a lot of parallels to the flood of Noah, more than you would think on a first reading. And Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the fall of the sons of god and and all that stuff he has a totally different reading of it that makes new sense of everything and uh the so you've already got like the fundamental ideas of the Old Testament, which may be much younger than we used to think. Like uh, Peter Lemke and uh, Russell Gamirkin and others say, this seems to be a Hellenistic book, it, it may have been put together sometimes from older material, but put together at the time the Septuagint was translated, that they did the Hebrew and the Greek at the same time uh, and that that's that it doesn't it's not any older than that again though some materials are. Uh, and so the the Hellenistic thing that permeates it uh, makes perfect sense. And uh, so it's already there before the New Testament is written, though not much before. Mm-hmm. And with Platonism, um, you know how Philo, who's uh, was writing around the forties uh, C.E. or A.D., he said that why this is so much like Moses. I bet Plato ripped it all off from Moses, when of course it's just the other way around, though it wasn't Moses himself, but Jewish scholars who did. Uh, well, yeah, there is a lot of similarity. And Gnosticism, as one scholar described it, as Platonism-run riot. Even with the, the Demiurge, that very term comes from Plato. Uh, he was an inferior creator. Just like David Hume said, there is an amazing amount of order and design in the universe but not enough to uh prove the christian god yeah exactly that's because it was created by uh this guy doing the best he could but you know what did he have to work with the demiurge so okay. it, it's uh and i think that bultmann is right that uh Gnosticism was already there and was a major contributor to uh, to Christian theology. Yeah. I, I, there's one other distinction I want to make. Uh, R- Jewish Christianity was a bit more like Islam, with the idea of the succession of, of the true prophets, uh, and finally the, the biggie, uh, there was the paraclete, Muhammad, uh, and, and so on um and uh it it didn't have all the metaphysics of of hellenistic christianity paul doesn't even come in for mention so uh if christianity in its jewish form was more like qumran a, and uh they didn't have the idea of the atoning death of jesus yet mm-hmm. Where does Paulinism come from? And like, why is there an apostle, Paul, if there were 12 apostles? Where'd this guy come from? It seems like a whole different thing. Well, imagine, suppose you're a Jewish believer in Jesus, and you go out on a mission to Europe, and you're saying, hey, everybody, I got great news. The rightful king of, uh, as we might say, uh, of Liechtenstein has arrived. He's taken the throne. So what? Where? Uh, Would would people would that have been even relevant to to, uh, Greeks, Romans, and others? Uh, I think not. And so, to survive, it would have had to undergone this massive change conceptually into the form that we know was predominant there of dying and rising savior gods Mm -hmm. and uh, atoning sacrifices and so on. And and one last thing, I love what Harnack said in his book, Uh, What is Christianity? He said... uh, You read how Jesus gives the parable of the prodigal son. If you repent, no matter how far you're you're gone, you just need to uh, repent and God will forgive you. Can you imagine Jesus saying that when he knew that maybe a month later, everything would change? That wouldn't be nearly good enough. You got to believe in him as some kind of demigod and be baptized and take communion why didn't he say that before i mean how did the whole thing change what the heck's going on
0: yeah i mean the change between uh what the story or what jesus is saying in the gospels and then paul's uh theology is they're two different things for sure um you know fascinating so you know the um the Greek Septuagint, the oldest uh, Hebrew Torah we found at Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, is very similar to the uh, language of the Greek Septuagint. So, right. uh, you might have something there. I mean, that's that's quite fascinating. I never thought of it like that. Um, uh, I would like to kind of end uh, with like one of my my final questions. Um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious about the objections to the historical Jesus and the Christ myth theory. Uh that you kind of present in the case against the case for Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the common like evangelical objections and uh, ways to overcome those when presenting these ideas?
1: Well, one of the biggies is that uh, they say, look, there just wouldn't be enough
0: time
1: between Jesus uh, and and the Gospels for these guys to have created a myth well, wait a second, that is totally circular. If there wasn't a Jesus, the bottom drops out of this. Where's the starting point? Enough time between the Gospels and what? I mean, it may have been germinating way back even in the Old Testament because there's evidence that they even believed Yahweh, like Marduk, was a dying and rising God. Uh, or he may have, Jesus may have been distilled from... Um, belief in Osiris and Baal, which the Old Testament makes manifest, they knew about. Uh, So when would the myth have to have begun? They're smuggling in the idea that there was a historical Jesus. You can't do that. It's totally circular. I don't know why they don't say that. Um, uh, Let's see. Another thing uh, Bart says in his uh, book, uh, Did Jesus Exist, I think it was called, uh, that uh, the, yeah, there's similarity between Old Testament stories and New Testament stories, feeding of the 5,000 and stuff like that. But that's just the window dressing. The, the The substance goes back to some kind of core. What substance? I mean, it seems to me like there's an empty shop window. It's all uh, Wind addressing uh, abstract that stuff. What's left? And uh, he said in a debate with me, "Oh well, no, I'm not saying that uh, that the the whole thing was made up." But in his book, he actually does say that. So he sort of uh, uh, backpedal to get out of a tight spot. Uh, I, uh, but that's important to say. You can't just say it's details. Take away these details and ask yourself, what have you got left? Uh, Another one is, well, Jews were very fiercely monotheistic. They would not put up with any influence from those pagan Greeks. Uh, No, no. What do you think the the Maccabean revolt was all about? Uh, In the second century BCE, uh, so many Jews are flocking to believe in Hellenism and Dionysus worship, uh, that uh, Judah and his brothers said, hey, this keeps going, say goodbye to Judaism. I mean, there was a real threat. It wasn't like it was just that the Antiochus Epiphanes was... uh, Converting people to Hellenism at sword point. People like this. Oh, I like the gymnasium thing, and so on and so on. Uh, and we, we know they were open to Hellenistic influences, like the Dura Europa synagogue, has these big floor mosaics that show Hercules riding his chariot through the wheel of the zodiac. Uh, there's there's a North African. Jewish sarcophagus that shows the Torah and the wheel of Attis, which is a symbol of his resurrection. Uh, What do you think Paul was worried about when he said that uh, weaker brethren could be led off the track by seeing you, a deacon of your church, go into a business lunch at Apollo's temple? What's the problem? They're going to think, oh, I guess we can keep on worshiping several gods like I used to do. Oh, well, great. No, 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 no. It's, it's just, uh, just meat. Uh, it's not uh, religion. Uh, that just doesn't make any sense either, that there was this hermetic sealing going on. Uh, and, uh, oh, let's see. What else? Uh, uh, well, the idea that there are loads of pre-gospel sources, like Q and L, M, um, uh, proto-Luke, uh, or Marcus, and so on. Uh, so, you see, it, it's not just the four gospels. They didn't come out of nowhere. They're based on a chain of earlier materials. Bard argues that way. Uh, No, we don't know that there were these things. These are merely hypotheses trying to divide up the text to make sense of it. They're alike in a lot of ways, different in a lot of ways. What might explain that? And there's continual debate on which of these theories, if any, is true. So again, you can't invoke one debate to settle another one. Uh, But they do that all the time. Uh, I, I'm sure there's there's other things. I, oh well, another one is the gospel writers. It was it's either hoax or history. And these guys uh, were all above board. Uh, they they were uh, honest and treasured that they're not going to be lying to you. It's not a question of lying. And that brings up the question of forgery and so on. That's kind of anachronistic. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like Dennis McDonald, another show, there was this idea of mimetic creation in literature where you would say the Iliad, the Odyssey, they are great. I think we could use uh, another treatment of the same themes. And so you see all these big unashamed borrowings. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's like when you see a remake of an old movie, they're ripping that off no no it's just a redoing of the things or even the letters now some of those i admit are pious frauds uh where where they're trying to uphold the higher truth by fibbing about it Uh, but otherwise righteous people are tempted to do that it it doesn't mean that uh it's not like all or nothing i'm saying there's a naivete and a the bifurcation fallacy it's either forgery or inspired or whatever no it's not come
0: on a little bit of both very fascinating well uh, i really appreciate you taking your time uh, you covered some really good stuff today um very insightful um yeah once i post this up i'll go ahead and send you a link for it and everything but i really appreciate you taking the time and uh appreciate your insight on all this well so, thank, thank you, you for having welcome. me it's been a pleasure Yeah.